morning, everybody. Hoping you all went to bed early last night. We lost that hour. If I see your head tilting back or forward too far, at least I'll be able to blame it on that and not on my message. So that's good. You know, that's comforting. You know, I, I had the privilege of being up here with you on fall back day, too. So I'm like the clock change guy now. You know? <laughs> then I could at least count on everyone getting an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> for, for me, though, my, my daughter, Violet, she's 17 months old now. She gives me a spring ahead day like three times a week, you know? So, you know, when she decides to get up at four. So, you know, I, I, I'm immune to it now. I'm ready for it. And, and actually, she slept in today. So. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm trying something new today. I'm going to just pick up where Pastor Rich left off last week. So that's new for me. Usually I come up here, I have some kind of a uh, one-off message, but I'm, I'm uh, going right where he left off in John. So that's something new. Uh, if you want to turn with me to John chapter 6, that would be great. You know, one thing that gives me the opportunity to do that I haven't really in the past is to recap last week's sermon. There we go. So last week, Pastor Rich was in John chapter 5, and he told us about the overwhelming testimony of who Jesus is. And Jesus himself pointed out in this section that John the Baptist testified of him. He said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his works testified of him. Jesus did so many miraculous things. He healed so many people, freed so many people from demons, uh, did the miracle that we're going to read about today, and, and did so many things that John said, you know, the whole world couldn't contain all the books that would be written if we wrote down every one of Jesus' miracles. Think about all of the individual lives that he uh, miraculously changed. You know, when all those times when the, the Bible just tells us Jesus went out and healed their sick, you know, that's hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of stories, hundreds of people who had all kinds of problems that we just didn't, didn't get into detail about in the Bible. Uh, so those testified of him, the miracles that he was able to do, amazing things no ordinary man could do, only the, only the Son of God could do. The Father himself testified of Jesus. Two times we see that the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased at his baptism and at his transfiguration. So the Father testified of Jesus. The scriptures themselves testify of who Jesus is. Hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament that only Jesus fulfilled, only Jesus could fulfill. Because, you know, we, we've, a lot of us heard that, you know, mathematical explanation of the, the chance that Jesus could randomly fulfill all those prophecies, being like finding one silver dollar that covered the whole of Texas a foot deep or something like that, right? Anybody heard that one before? So only Jesus could fulfill that. That's basically a way of illustrating the mathematic impossibility of it, you know, other than, other than just God doing it. Um, so that's a way that Jesus is testified about, you know, the scriptures, the prophecies about him. One more thing from Scripture, but that Jesus mentioned specifically, is that Moses testified about him. 
Moses was, of course, someone that the people of Israel held in the highest regard, right? And he wrote the first five books of the Bible. Um, so 1,200 years before Jesus' birth, Moses spoke about Jesus. And we'll, we'll look more at Moses in a, in a little bit. But in addition to all the testimony that Jesus mentioned in, in John chapter 5, we know also that we have the New Testament scriptures, which speak directly about him and, and the things that he did. And we have about 2,000 years of lives changed by Jesus to work with, right up to this group here in this room of people who can testify of what Jesus has done for them, right? Amen. So that's overwhelming testimony indeed. And of course, even in the face of this overwhelming testimony, we all still have a choice to make, just as the people of Israel did while Jesus was there among them. Do we believe the mountain of evidence that shows us who Jesus is? Or do we decide, no, that's not enough proof for me? Or worse, do we decide, yeah, it's enough proof, but I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to do the things that he's told me to do and put my trust in him. But for those of us who have responded to all of that evidence and to the call that God's put on our lives, we become part of the evidence ourselves. We have a testimony. And so that brings us up to our section today, Gospel of John, chapter 6. And of course, the Gospel of John in its entirety is another piece of overwhelming testimony. John's eyewitness testimony of his time with Jesus and all the things that he saw Jesus do and was there for and even part of. You know, we can keep that in mind as we read today that we're looking at something that through John's writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God wanted entered into the evidence for Jesus in the Bible. You know, and it's not an overly long section. We're going to do verses 1 through 15, so I think we, we can just read it first, and then we can go through it. So let's read, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you that we're all here together, gathered in your name. We thank you for your word and the freedom we have to read it and study it today. I pray that you would speak to each one of us through your word this morning, and that you would just reveal yourself to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Prepare our hearts to hear from you today and help me to deliver a message to your people from you today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So this section here in John chapter 6 
is probably labeled in pretty straightforward manner in your Bible, the heading, I'm guessing, something like Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? I really think it ought to say, Jesus feeds the 5,000. You could add a few more exclamation points to that. Or maybe perhaps, Jesus works an amazing miracle and feeds 5,000 people with hardly any food at all. That's not very concise, but I think you get my point. You know, this is a section that I think many of us are quite familiar with. And perhaps some of you have even been hearing about this account since you were a small child. Because it does make it into all the Sunday school curriculums, all the picture Bibles, all the uh, Bible coloring books, you know, like these here. And so kids start learning in church about this in a very young age. You know, we just started the New Testament in Violet's picture Bible, so we're going to get to this pretty soon. Uh, I think that one challenge in reading familiar passages like this one is that some of us have heard it so many times that we kind of skim over it without really looking carefully at what is going on in the passage. You know, I, so, I, don't, I certainly don't think I've always stopped to appreciate the magnitude of the miracle. You know, and I did a rough count of how many of us are here today from the back. There's about 65 of us here today, and then I got out my calculator, and 65 people in this room, you know, it would take uh, about 76 of this room to make 5,000 people. 76 of the people, you know, this group of people. So, you know, of course, we're going to get a lot more people at 11.30. (laughs) But for now, that'll do. You know, that's before I even point out that there were 5,000 men and there were also women and children counted separately. So we're probably talking about 10,000 to 15,000 people. You know, and, you know, if you packed every seat in McCoy Stadium, anybody know how many people can go in there? About 10,000, right. I know, that's a sore subject for me, too. I'm very sad about it. So how about the Dunkin' Donuts Center, or is it the Dunkin' Center right now? Anyway, we just call it the Dunk anyway, right? That one can seat 12,000. So there's, there's a better picture, and one that we don't have to be sad about, because the Providence Bruins don't seem to be going anywhere for now. <laughs> um, you know, we think about that many people, and we start to get a better appreciation for what this miracle was. You know, and I, I think also that it's easy to miss what God wants to tell us from his word when we've read the scripture passage so many times. Um, maybe some of you don't have that problem. I do, though. So. You know, I, I, uh, sometimes I, I don't stop to really think about it. You know, I'm, I'm doing my devotions and I read through and I'm like, oh yeah, I know that one. You know, and so, it, so I don't stop. But if you do, great. That's what you should do, you know. God wants to speak to us from his word. And so... He wants us to go deeper than just the facts of what happened, especially with these well-known sections. You know, I'll tell you right now that Jesus didn't do this miracle just to feed everybody for a day. That wasn't the main reason. It wasn't just because of the food shortage, and and John wasn't led by the Holy Spirit to write it down just because it was pretty cool, you know? (laughs) There's a reason that it's in the Bible. He wanted to show us something here. He wanted to show the people there something, and he wants to show us something too. Uh, do you know how many miracles are found in all four Gospels of the Bible, besides the resurrection? Anybody? A lot. A lot? No, just found in all four. Not, not the total number, but how many are repeated four times? I didn't hear it. It's, it's one. 
And I was going to give you a barley loaf if you got it right. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> just kidding. But it's one. And it now, now that I said it's one, which one do you think it is? It's this one. This miracle, besides the resurrection and, and the virgin birth, I should say also, are the, is the only miracle found in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all led by the Holy Spirit to include this account in their Gospels. When you think about that, it becomes very clear that this event was much more than a meal. Even more than just a miraculous meal. It's something that God repeated four times, and when he does that, I think that we really ought to pay attention, right? Let's reread verses 1 to 4. They kind of set the scene for the whole rest of the chapter. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Those verses give you the who, what, where, when, and why of the situation. We get a little more information from the other Gospels. Matthew and Mark both mention that Jesus had compassion on the people. Matthew 14, 14 says, He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Well, Mark 6.34 tells us, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So Jesus' compassion is mentioned in two of the Gospels. He felt compassion for them and tended to their physical needs and spiritual needs. He healed them and he taught them many things. What is this compassion that Jesus felt? The original Greek word for compassion here, or had compassion, is a, is a good one. It's splunknizomai. Splunknizomai. Say it with me. Splunknizomai. It's really fun once you get the hang of it. Splunknizomai. It comes from the Greek word for middle voice from. And according to Strong's Dictionary, uh, it basically it means to be moved to the innermost, deepest part of oneself. The Greeks would say move to their bowels, but I don't think that really has the same meaning for us as it did for them. So we'll just go with innermost part. <laughs> that, that'll do. Um, so that's what Jesus felt for these people. He was moved to the innermost part of himself just looking at them. You know, he didn't need to, to even hear their stories before he felt this compassion for them. I mean, Jesus knows all things, so he knew all about each one of them there. And he had compassion on them. Why go into all this detail about a word that John didn't choose to use when we're studying John? I, I think that even though John didn't use the word compassion, it's pretty clear from John's account that Jesus had compassion on these people too. We don't have a God who doesn't care about us. We don't even have a God who cares about us in a general sense, but doesn't care about our day-to-day -day activities. We have a God who loves us and cares about even the small details of our lives. Just like the lunch that all of these people forgot to pack. Jesus cared about that. And they traveled out to this deserted place to see him, and he wasn't going to send them away hungry, as we'll see. Mark mentioned, again, that they were like sheep without a shepherd, and that speaks to their spiritual needs. They didn't have a Moses or a Joshua or a King David to lead them spiritually. They didn't have a good spiritual leader, and they hadn't in quite some time. The people who are supposed to be their spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, 
were the people that Jesus had the harshest words for while he was here on earth. He called them a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. The reason he spoke so sharply against them was because they had failed the people. Instead of leading them closer to God, they had opted instead to lift themselves up with a show of their own self-righteousness and uh, lord that over the people. So Jesus, of course, is our good shepherd. He saw that these people didn't have one. After his ascension, he left his apostles to act as shepherds over his people, and they taught younger believers to act as shepherds over their people, and down through the centuries, we've had shepherds ever since. When we don't have a shepherd, a good shepherd, that's a big problem in our lives. We can always turn to Jesus as the ultimate good shepherd, but it's important that we have shepherds here too. And that these people didn't have one moved Jesus greatly. He was moved by both their physical and spiritual needs, and he spent the day meeting both of those needs. He spent the day healing them and teaching them. So he was looking after them in both a physical and spiritual sense. You know, we see the picture from Psalm 23 of the Lord as the good shepherd, you know, happening right here. A little later, he's going to tell the people to sit down on the grass. Doesn't that remind you of the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that by the time the question about food came up, it was late in the day. And those other gospels also say that at some point, the 12 apostles suggested that Jesus send them away so they could go find their own food, and he told them no. Perhaps they were even wondering when they were going to get some food. They had been there all day too. They hadn't been planning for this. They thought that they were going to go out and have some time alone with Jesus at this kind of deserted place, but the crowd followed them. Of course, Jesus knew all along what was going to happen. And so the apostles started to wonder, well, what are we going to do about this situation? And it's at this point, after healing and teaching all day, that Jesus had this food discussion with Philip back here in John. Verses 5 and 6 now. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he knew what was going, he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. You know, Jesus said this to Philip specifically here. He, Philip isn't mentioned by name in the other Gospels. They just say that Jesus was talking to the twelve. That doesn't mean that he's contradicting himself in his word. That just means here in John, John named him by name. The other conversations are fairly similar. Several commentaries indicated that Philip was from Bethsaida, which is a town nearby. And so if Jesus was really interested in buying 5,000 people bread, then Philip would be the local guy he could talk to. But of course, that's not what Jesus was really getting at. He wanted to reveal to Philip and to the rest of the 12 that they needed to grow in their faith. You know, Jesus doesn't test us to find out anything that he doesn't already know. He knew how Philip would respond to this question before he opened his mouth. And it was for Philip's benefit that Jesus asked it, not for his own. Perhaps Jesus saw in him specifically a need for more faith. He'll put us in situations like this too, where we have to answer questions. You know, am I truly trusting God about this or relying too much on myself? Am I growing fearful because of the circumstances around me and failing to trust God? Those are the kind of questions God will ask us. He already knows the answer. But when we answer them, it shows us something. You know, many times I run into some kind of 
Crisis is a strong word, but to me it seems like one. A difficulty, really. Most of them relatively small. And I freak out. I stress out. I worry myself about it. And then I ask God for help. You know, the situation somehow works out, and I say afterwards, boy, that was silly. I didn't need to freak out about that. God had it under control the whole time. You know, the funny thing is, is that the times we freak out, God already knows we're going to freak out. And he uses those situations, I think, if we're willing to to pay attention, to show us how silly it is that we're freaking out. (laughs) He's got it under control. We can really just skip the whole freak out part of the process. That's what Jesus was trying to do with Philip. You know, he, he asked a question that he knew would freak Philip out. <laughs> and so Philip did what Jesus knew he would do. <laughs> and he said, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. He really just stops himself short of saying, are you crazy, Jesus? That's, that's what I see here. Is that's, that's what he's getting at. You know, keep in mind what Philip had been watching Jesus do all day. What was he doing? He was miraculously healing people all day long right in front of Philip. Philip had seen Jesus turn water into wine. Philip had seen Jesus bring a dead person back to life. But he didn't think he could handle this bread situation. (laughs) Neither did any of the apostles, for that matter. It wasn't just Philip. He gets singled out here in John, but it was all of them. It's us too. (laughs) Either they thought that it wasn't something that Jesus would really use his power to solve, a problem that he wouldn't solve with his power, or they saw the gigantic crowd and it overwhelmed them and they thought, well, this is just too much. Jesus doesn't see things that way. They could deal with the idea of Jesus healing people like one person at a time. Step up in line, I'll heal you, I'll heal you. you know, but they couldn't deal with like this gigantic crowd, 5,000 people, a stadium's worth of people needing bread at the same time. David Guzik had this to say about Philip. With greater faith and knowledge, Philip might have said, Master, I don't know where the food is to feed the crowd, but you are greater than Moses, whom God used to feed a multitude every day in the wilderness. And God can certainly do a lesser work through a greater servant. You are greater than Elisha, whom God used to feed many sons of the prophets through little food. What is more, the scriptures say that man shall not live on bread alone, and you are great enough to fill this multitude from the words of your mouth. He could have said that. That is not what he said. (laughs) And so often we are really no different. I, I trust completely that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. He rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven. He conquered sin and death. He granted me eternal life. I have a hope that's firm and secure to spend forever with him. I am sure of that. I believe that Jesus did the miracle we're reading about today. I believe everything that happened in the scriptures. But when something in my house or my car breaks, something that I need right now to work, please don't ask my wife about how I react to that. <laughs> At least not when it first happens. And it's so backwards and it's so silly. And I, and I see that afterwards. And God's teaching me. You know, I can trust him for all those big, important things. I can trust him for all these tiny little things. Relatively speaking, you know, I can certainly trust him that somehow we'll get our appliances repaired or replaced or that I'll get my car to pass inspection. 
I don't need to worry. You know, I'm working on this. God's working on me. I know he wants me to trust him in all things. I'm praying that he doesn't have to break everything in my house to show it to me. (laughs) Notice that it most definitely does not say Jesus asked this only to mess with Philip. (laughs) There is a purpose behind it, behind the testing, to help him, to help him and the other apostles to grow and look at things differently, to see that what Jesus... With Jesus, nothing is too big of a problem. In the book of Acts, after his death and resurrection, once these men received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we don't see them the same way anymore, asking, like, are you crazy? There's 5,000 people here. We see them stepping out and boldly doing what God sent them to do. They learned. They learned to trust God, and they learned that anything was possible with him, eventually. So in verse 8, Another of his his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Andrew's claim to fame would forever be Simon Peter's brother, wouldn't it? (laughs) But he did the right thing in bringing this young boy to Jesus, even if as he was doing it, he was saying something doubtful about it. (laughs) How far will that go among so many? I brought him, but... I don't know why. (laughs) We aren't told how Andrew found the one person out of all these people that brought some food. (laughs) But he did, and he brought him to Jesus. The food that he had was even less than it sounds like, since only poor people ate barley loaves as food. They usually gave it to animals if they weren't poor. And the Greek word John uses for fish really does refer to a very little fish maybe even sardine-sized. It was enough of a lunch for that kid, but it wasn't a lunch for everybody else. And yet he was willing to bring it forward and give it to Jesus. He brought what little he had. I think there certainly is a lesson in that for each of us. We may think that we lack the resources, the ability, the talent, or even the time to be used by God. Or even if we are being used by Him, we may think we can only be used by Him in a certain way that we've already experienced. But if we're doing that, then we're we're not recognizing that Jesus can do a lot with a little. We don't get to the point where we just bring everything we have to Him, our, our whole selves and everything we own and everything in our lives, and just say, take it all, Jesus. It's not much, but you can have it all. Sure seems like the boy gave all to Jesus. You know, he had five loaves, two fish. He didn't say, you can have one loaf and one fish. I'm going to hang on to the rest. He brought it all. You know, it's not his leftovers either. It's, it's what he brought to eat, and he gave it to Jesus. And said, you can take this. You know, if, if we brought just the leftovers or if we just, you know, took part of what we could bring to Jesus, then, for example, I could have sat down and read these 15 verses a couple times, scribbled a half a page of notes out, 
come up here and ask God to multiply my work into a sermon, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is not to say that he's not capable of it. He certainly is. God can speak through donkeys and bushes, after all. But, <laughs> but I would be being a donkey if I did that. <laughs> he wants us to give everything we've got, and then he'll multiply that. You know, so here, here are my five loaves and two fish. Should we count on God's power to prop up our lack of effort? No, never. You know, for another example, if that was the case, then instead of doing all the work of preparing for the Festival of Hope every year, we could just all show up around 1130 and say, okay, God... Let's see what we're going to do today, right? That would be chaos, especially if we told everybody we were having a festival. (laughs) They all showed up looking for their clam cakes and chowder, and there was nothing. But I see it every year that people do bring their best to God on that day, especially. It's very evident. They bring their time, their talents, their willingness to work in the hot sun and you know, kind of sweat to death all day long. And God takes that offering, that two fish and five loaves, and he makes something great out there on the lawn every year. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. It does not say victory rests with the Lord, so don't bother getting your horse ready. We get ready as best we can. We do the most we can. We bring our five loaves and our two fish, and then the Lord does the important part and gives us the victory. You know, I'm not saying that we need to, that all of you need to bring every last penny you have and put it in the box in the back, or that you need to spend your every waking moment this summer working on festival stuff. Um, but I think it's important that we think about giving God our best. And more importantly, than our time or our possessions or our money, giving him all of ourselves. That's what he wants the most. And if we give him all of ourselves, then all the rest will follow suit. We'll give him the best of everything else we have. That boy was willing to give all he had to Jesus, and we should be willing to do the same. If we hold back from him, we're the ones who are going to miss out. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that God does not need us to do his work but he wants to use us anyway. So that's a privilege that we get. Jesus could have made 12,000 McFish sandwiches appear thousands of years before McDonald's was founded, if he wanted to. But instead, he chose to use this little boy's food and use his disciples to pass it out. He'll always make more of what we bring to him than it would ever be on its own. Spurgeon had this to say about God multiplying our offerings. He said, It is certainly so with talent and ability and with grace in the heart. The more you use it, the more there is of it. It is often so with gold and silver. The store of the liberal man increases while the miser goes poor. We have an old proverb which is as true as it is suggestive. Drawn wells have the sweetest waters. So if you keep continually drawing on your mind, your thoughts will get sweeter. And if you continue to draw on your strength, your strength will be more mighty through God. The more you do, the more you may do. 
by the grace of the ever-blessed one. He also had this challenge in the same message. Either you are the Lord's or you are not. If you are Christ's servant, take a sheet of paper and write down, Lord, I bring my loaves and fishes to thee. So what is it that you can bring to God to see how he multiplies it? Pray about it, certainly. Ask him to show you. There are opportunities to serve here in our church, every week opportunities that are always there, like greeting and ushering and uh, serving in the children's ministry. There are things that come up once in a while, like yard cleanup days and, of course, the festival. You know, we've been talking about getting involved in the Decision Northeast event in May. That's a great opportunity to, to bring yourself to the Lord and just see what he'll do with you there. You know, I've, I'm thinking I should sign up to be, uh, they have a need for people to counsel people who come forward to receive Christ. And that's not something that I feel really comfortable with, you know, just praying with strangers and, and all that, but I, I think I should sign up and do it. I need to just give myself to God in that. And so I'm, I'm going to sign up. Um, Franklin Graham, in case anybody doesn't know, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, is going to speak in East Providence. They're going to have a big event, there's going to be music, and there's going to be a lot of people there, and he's going to give a message of the gospel. And they've had, they showed us a video, I went, I went to the kickoff, and, and just, it looks really cool, the, thing, that the, the events that they've had other places, that a lot of people getting saved. And so that's a way that you, you could just come forward and, and give something to Jesus, even if you don't want to do what I just mentioned, you could help out with setup or, or anything else there. Um, and again, I know it's in the bulletin, but you can talk to Stacy about that after church too. Or look on their website. That day, I think, is going to be quite the example of what God will do to multiply the efforts of his people. So let's see what the, Jesus does with the boys' lunch in verses 10 and 11. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. You know, it would have been, I just imagine, like, again, we've read, many of us have read this so many times. I would, I would like to go back and read it for the first time like I never read it before, you know, and have the right, proper amazement at what Jesus did. It just... It's described quite matter-of-factly by John. You know, Jesus took the food, Jesus handed out the food, everyone ate as much food as they wanted, and we had a bunch left over. Just this, that. You know, like a stadium's worth of people eating from five small loaves and two little fish. You know, that's exciting, that's amazing. If you really stop and think hard about it, there are like tons of questions you could ask about what exactly this looked like. You know, as Jesus like broke off a piece of bread, did another one grow in its place? Or did it all happen in like such a blur that no one could even really figure out what was going on? You know, did, did Peter go with a fish to, to the group nearest him and start like dealing them like cards? Like, and they just kept, I don't know, <laughs> just... And, you know, it's fun to think about that, but I, I guess ultimately we don't need to know because God didn't tell us in his word. Oh, maybe someday in heaven we can find out. I'd be very interested to find out. But I think, I think God knew that, you know, we could get caught up in that. And uh, instead of 
keeping our attention on Jesus, the one who did the miracle, we could get more interested in the miracle. And so he lists it very matter-of-factly here. The focus should be on Jesus himself. But because it's told so simply, I think we, I have the tendency to just overlook what an awesome demonstration of Jesus' power over creation was. Think about this. Do dead things usually multiply in nature? No. Barley baked into bread is dead. It's, it's not going to grow any more barley. And fish that are uh, most likely salted after being caught and out of water are dead. They're not going to have any more baby fish. And yet, in Jesus' hands, these things multiplied faster than when they were alive. He has the power over creation. Of course, he was there at the creation of all things. All things were created through him. You know, I think about the fact that they had 12 baskets of leftovers, and that is so much more than they started with, of course, even after everyone ate. So that shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus did, in fact, transform this food into more food than it was. You know, it wasn't that all of them... All of them were fooled somehow into thinking that they got a good meal or that he was a hypnotist or something like that. Any of the crazy things that people could say to try and disprove this. You know, they had 12 baskets of physical leftovers after the miracle was over, showing that they had more than what they started with. When Jesus first asked Philip about feeding these people, he gave his estimate that eight months' wages wouldn't be enough to give them all even a bite. Jesus went so far beyond the idea of even a bite, didn't he? It said they had all had their fill. All of these people had a good meal to that day. Philip thought, even as, even as Philip was saying, it's not possible, even, even his thought about that was, I can't, it's not possible to even give them a bite. But they all had so much more than a bite. Jesus went beyond what anyone could have expected. I'm not sure what any of these people planned on doing for dinner that day out in the wilderness. They didn't pack, they didn't plan. Maybe they hoped that they could make it back home without fainting from hunger and get themselves something to eat after being out all day with Jesus. That's what the apostles suggested that they do, send them home so they can go try and make it back home and get something to eat. There's no indication that they expected to be healed, taught, and fed that day because it had not happened before. Over and over, God will do more than we expect, though as we seek to follow and serve him. We think to ask for just a little, and he decides to give us more than we asked for. You know, when my sons were young and their birthdays or Christmas rolled around, I would, they always had a birthday list and a Christmas list, but I would try and think of something that wasn't on the list to surprise them, something that they would really love, but they'd be surprised by. And eventually it got harder and harder to surprise them as their lists became more and more all-inclusive. But, <laughs> but when they were young, it was easy. And I've got some great memories and some great pictures of these ear-to-ear smiles on their faces because they got something they didn't expect, better than what they asked for. And in that, I feel that's what... God sees when he gives things to us. He gives us something better than we asked for, and he loves to see the joy that it brings us. He wants to bless us beyond what we even know to ask for. 
not just in meeting our physical needs, but he wants to give us more peace, more joy, more grace, more mercy, more love than we could imagine. He wants to give us the blessing of being part of his work here in ways that we didn't think we were capable of doing. And when we bring everything we have to him, he multiplies it to a greater extent than we could ever expect. So let's finish up the section in verses 14 and 15. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It should put this miracle in proper perspective that the people there were convinced by this, not by him healing them, not by his powerful teaching, but they were convinced by this that he was the prophet. Not a prophet, but the prophet, the prophet they had been waiting for, the prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Of course, we know that Jesus is greater than any prophet and greater than Moses, but the people had been waiting for Moses' prophetic words to come true for quite some time. And while Jesus had worked many miraculous healings among them, it wasn't until he miraculously supplied them with bread that they made the connection to Moses, because Moses had led them in the wilderness when God miraculously gave them manna from heaven. Jesus' healings and teachings should have been enough for them. Jesus says to the crowds of people later in the chapter, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. That's a section that Pastor Rich will be covering, so I don't want to get too much into that. But we do see here that Jesus knew that the very people we see him healing, teaching, and feeding here at the beginning of the chapter didn't really get it. They came back looking for another meal. They understood that he was the prophet because of this miracle, but they didn't understand that he was the Son of God. They wanted to make him their earthly king, and likely some there had hopes that he would overthrow the Romans and free them from their rule as Moses had led them out of Egypt and freed them from captivity. But they didn't recognize him as God's own son. So Jesus withdrew, as he was always able to do when he needed to. His time to be hailed as king had not come yet. That would happen later when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as people cried out, Hosanna. And that time had been appointed in advance to fulfill prophecy. And Jesus didn't come to be that kind of king. Not an earthly king who would free them from Rome, but the king of kings who would free us from sin and death. So knowing that what Jesus himself said about the people who experienced this miracle, it would seem that they weren't the ones who benefited most from it. Sure, they got a good meal out of it, but they didn't understand who he was, rightly. So who then was most blessed by this? If all the people there who ate didn't get it. You know, given again that it's recorded in all four Gospels, I would say that the apostles and likewise we as believers in Jesus benefit more from this miracle than those who actually ate the bread and the fish. Many of those people seem to gain nothing of eternal value from the miracle. They were fed for a day and they wanted more shortly afterwards. 
Later in chapter 6, many grumbled against Jesus when he said that he was the bread from heaven. The apostles, on the other hand, saw Jesus do something powerful and amazing. Philip especially got a lesson about not underestimating Jesus' ability to handle any and every situation. We get all of this, too, because this miracle has been recorded in God's Word for all generations to see. Part of that powerful, overwhelming testimony of Jesus. We know from John 20, verse 30, the reason why the Holy Spirit led John to write his gospel was Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So we see that this account is part of John's testimony about Jesus, something that was crucial to include as part of his gospel, a piece of evidence that he could not omit. And John only includes a small number of miracles in his gospel, so this one stands out as important. A thing to take away from this that I believe is so very important for us, is that Jesus can and will do amazing things when we bring all of what little we have to him, all of ourselves and all that we have. What we have and what we are isn't much. But if Jesus can feed 5,000 people on one little lunch, he can take what we have and do even greater things if we'll just hand ourselves over to him. Over and over again, God shows in his word that he will work wonders through those who are willing to serve him. If you think that you can't be used by God, you should look at the cast of characters that go down in Bible history as heroes of the faith. Many of them seem very unlikely to lead their people, win battles, speak God's words, or perform miracles. But they gave all of themselves to God and he did the rest. If we do the same, then he will make our little bit into much more than a meal for who knows how many people. What if we can only muster up the courage to tell one person about Jesus, but then they receive him as their savior and plant a church or start the revival that our country so desperately needs? You don't know how God will multiply what you do when you bring it all to him and don't hold back. One more thing before I close that I always want to make sure I talk about is that if there's anyone here today or streaming from home, or listening later, that has never taken the initial step to turn to Jesus as their Savior, now is a good time. We've been talking about what God will do with us if we just give Him everything, and that's where it all has to start, with coming to Jesus and asking Him to be your Savior. Until you put your trust in Him to save you from your sins, any little benefit you may be getting from listening to this message today is just like a free meal that people received. You'll be hungry again tomorrow. Jesus wants to give you so much more than that. He wants to give you eternal life starting right now. That's what he's offering. So if that's you, I'm going to give you a chance to ask Jesus for more than a meal today. To ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And he won't disappoint you. In fact, he'll do more than you could ever imagine that he was going to do and more than you know to ask for. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We see that you are greater than a prophet, greater than Moses. You are God, the Messiah, our Savior. We just praise you for the amazing things that you have done, for this miracle you worked, 
for the amazing things that you're doing in our lives right now and the amazing things that you have in store for us. Help us to bring our efforts, our time, our possessions, and ourselves to you so that you can use them for your work and multiply what little we bring into mighty things that will bring you glory. I also pray for any here today or listening later that have never put their trust in you as their Savior. If that's you and you want to change, that's to change right now, today, just pray along with me. Lord, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died for my sin and rose again, and I ask you to be my Savior, to take my life and make it yours. I want to follow you from now on, so I give it all to you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Amen. So if that was you today, you definitely got more than a meal. The rest of you, I hope you did too. So thanks for listening. I hope everybody enjoys the extra hour of um, sunshine today. Have a great week.